to spend $1,180 to Ron Cootie during this financial strain that he had. So thank you so very much for doing that. I know he appreciated it. Won't you stand with us as we begin our worship service this morning with Once Again We Come. day out there today. We've had a beautiful week and it got a little warmer on us this week. So we're glad to see each of y'all here this morning. If you're visiting with us today, we just ask that you would fill out a connect card. It's in the, uh, it's in front of you in the pew. Leave that, uh, you can just leave it on the bench. We'll be fine or give it to one of us. But it's good to have you today and Brian, Brian come in uh, Pharaoh come in uh, this weekend to be with us, especially today. So he made a long trip coming. But any other visitors, good to have y'all with us today. On uh, 
Wednesday night, we have Bible study with uh, Brother Dan. He'll be back in. And also next Sunday, we'll uh, have a worship service. Uh, Pastor Dan will be doing that. So, I don't think there's any other announcements. I, on the... Uh, Okay. On our prayer concerns, it's listed. We just ask that you just uh, go through that and remember each of those. Uh, and also, we want to let you know that Marvin McConnell had had a stroke yesterday, and he's in the hospital. He's in St. Francis. So just remember to pray for Marvin. Uh, I think he's stable and everything, but he just sort of slurring his words, they said, and uh, uh, has a little bit of a, a draw on his face where he's pulling. So just remember Marvin. Uh, also, I want to, uh, I know I'd put Dennis and Renee Monroe. I've had them in the prayer request, and Dennis has been in uh, intensive care, and so, he was able to get off the vent. They've tried about four times last week, but uh, Friday they were able to get him off of the vent. So we just ask you to continue to remember them. He's still in ICU, and we just ask that you be with them. Our pastor will be traveling back uh, home from the convention this week, uh, and just remember them as they're traveling, and Pastor uh, Dan and Dana is with uh, Lynn and uh, Dan. Also, uh, Marie and LB, good to have you all with us this morning. Glad you're feeling better this morning and glad you're here. Uh, Jason Lewis is in Kentucky and he has a, uh, uh, they had diagnosed him with a cancer. We just ask that you be with him. And Odom's neighbor, uh, the baby Ian, we just pray that you, uh, God would touch that baby. And Nancy, she's going to be having some tests this week. Pray for our children and our youth. And also I want to say we had eight, eight youth yesterday on the car wash. And if you didn't get your car washed, we still will let you donate if you'd like to donate. <laughs> they got uh, a little over 500. <clears throat> How much? Well, I'm sure you will make 500 for, for those kids. So thank everybody that supported that. They come up yesterday, and uh, I had to get on to them a little bit when I come about getting them to work. They were sort of slow about moving around there. So hey, I'm going to read a text this morning from uh, Psalms 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders, by His understanding made the heavens, who spreads out the earth upon the waters. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this beautiful day You've given us. Thank you for the love that you have for each of us and for the opportunity to come back out to your house this morning to worship you and serve you, God. 
Thank you for each one here, and we just ask that you would deal with each of our hearts, Lord, that, that we, would, we would seek to do what your will is for each of our lives. And again, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And we ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Brother Dan has told us that he loves the music so much it inspires him to speak, and I know Carvin feels the same way. So let's join together in singing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'll let you sit down on two songs, and then I'll have you up on the last two, okay?
that's so beautiful. And that one says, you rose. And, and the grave and the death are conquered. You broke our bonds of sin and shame. Let's join together another old hymn song, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. as we sing this beautiful song, Near to the Heart of God. Savior me. 
just experience your presence this morning as the song says near to your heart I, I just pray that this morning we sense your presence so real that we feel your breath upon our face that we hear your heartbeat that we have the opportunity to allow your Holy Spirit to give us instructions encouragement and even conviction if necessary we desire to learn from you today as we sit at your feet. May you be our teacher, not me, but may your spirit be the one who teaches us. We do ask that you be with all the prayer requests that are mentioned. We give you the glory and praise. We realize that all healing is from you, either directly or indirectly. We'll give you the glory. So, Father, we thank you we have this opportunity to worship you in freedom, as so many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not have that freedom today. May you watch over them also. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went to the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, sitting at the feet of Jesus.
It is a blessing to be here this morning and to have you worship with us. Good to see Doug and Rita Ainsworth from really West Carroll Parish. Kind of a familiar place to me and Conrad and his family. They have just recently moved to West Monroe. So you, we welcome you to our community and welcome you to our worship service this morning. When Doug was pastoring in uh, Baton Rouge, I was in Gulf Coast Bible College, and his church gave me a scholarship there. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. Saying he was able to buy makeup after that, so it worked out very well for all of us. But we appreciate you. If you please get your Bibles and turn this morning with me to Matthew, the twenty-first chapter, verses twelve through seventeen. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. This is Matthew's account of Jesus cleansing the temple. And it had a tremendous effect not only on him, but on all the gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke placed this event at the end of Jesus' ministry after he had made about the time he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the week of his death, John places it at the beginning of his ministry. After he changed the water to wine in uh, Canaan at the marriage feast. So this leads us to think that he possibly cleansed it twice. At the beginning of his ministry and also at the ending of his ministry. It could have been just one. We know that the Bible is not written necessarily in chronological order, so that may explain the different settings from John and the other gospel readers. But 
it did have a tremendous impact on these writers. So let's look at the scripture and then we'll get into the message. Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning with verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never heard, never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. In order to better appreciate what has taken place, let me give you some brief history on the tabernacle and then later the, the temple. Shortly after the Israelites left the bondage in Egypt and started their journey in the wilderness for those 40 years, God instructed Moses and Moses instructed the people, build a tent. He called it a tabernacle, but it was really just a tent. He said, that will be my primary dwelling place with you. In fact, Exodus 40 says this, and I regret I didn't put all these scripture in on the overhead, but listen to these words. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, which would have been the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses did not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whether the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. So anytime they would travel, they would fold that tent, that tabernacle up, take it to the next place they were going to be camping, and erect it again as a place of God. After they entered the land of Canaan that had been promised to them, God instructed uh, Solomon to build a temple. David began getting the, a lot of the materials together, but he was not able to build it, so his son Solomon built it. And that's the temple that uh, was originally in Jerusalem. Listen again to what Scripture tells us about the temple on the day it was dedicated. This comes from 2 Chronicles 7, 1 and following. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of God because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to God, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. So the temple, just as the tabernacle, was the primary place 
where God would be with his people. But during the time of Jesus, worship at the temple had become so ritualistic and legalistic that many were not truly worshiping in the temple. And therefore, Matthew 21, verse 12 says, Jesus entered the temple area, not the temple itself, not the building, but the courtyard, we may call it, around the, the uh, temple. Now, this courtyard was a place where a person would pay his temple tax. Uh, that became a pretty lucrative business for the, the priest because every male had to pay a temple tax, uh, tax every year. And you could not use a Roman coin because it had the image of Caesar on there. And to take that into the temple itself would be idolatry. It would be like uh, making an image to worship. So in order to pay their taxes, they had to go to one of the tables and exchange that Roman coin for coins that were minted by the Jews. In the process of exchanging money, you can guess what happened. They had a tax on the tax, kind of like we do today, don't we? Uh, anytime you exchange money in an in a, in a airport, if you're going to a foreign country, they will charge you taxes or a commission, whatever you want to call it, fees. And then when you come back in the States and exchange it back into the dollar, they charge you again. So therefore, when people travel with me, they said, should we change, exchange money at the airport? I always tell them no. Everywhere we're going to take dollars. No need of giving them a commission to go back and forth with the exchanges. But the priests not only were collecting taxes, they were collecting interest, you might say, or fees on the taxes. Something else was going on in this area during the time of Jesus. The temple area, the, the courtyard outside the temple building, it had become a marketplace. Here, a Jewish man could go there and buy a, a sacrifice for his sins, the sins of his family, or a pigeon or something for some other sacrifice to, to God. These animals, the sheep, were raised by the temple flock. You remember the, uh, when the angel appeared to shepherds out in the field, out from Bethlehem, at the birth of Jesus Christ? It is believed that, that those shepherds were tending to the temple flock that would be sold as sacrifice. So fitting that the birth of the ultimate sacrifice would be announced, first of all, to shepherds who were raising sacrifices at that time. But no longer did a man have to raise an animal in his home or at his home. He didn't have that personal contact, that, that investment of time, energy, and love in that animal. Instead, he would usually buy it at the temple. Now, this practice goes all the way back to the first Passover of, of the sacrifices. You remember when the children of Israel were in bondage just before they left, God says, I'll send the death angel over a certain night. The firstborn of all will die unless you have a sacrifice, unless you put the blood of the sacrifice over or around your, your door frames. And before they could sacrifice that lamb, they had to watch that lamb for five days. First of all, to make sure it was healthy. 
make sure it wasn't going to just drop over dead from natural causes. It was a living sacrifice to be killed to spare their lives. And they also observed it for those five days to just see, to be reminded of a life that's about to be given for their life. You see, each time they fed that animal, each time they tended to it in the mornings and in the evenings or whenever, they knew in just a few days I will slaughter that animal. So there was a certain amount of love connected with those sacrifices. But there were several reasons why the Jews of Jesus' day purchased their sacrifices at the temple area rather than to raise their own. One was greed. The priests, especially the family of the high priests, made money off of those animals. And there also was the, the item or the issue of legalism. One never knew when he got his animal to take to Jerusalem if it would be acceptable by the priest. The priest may find some defect, something wrong with the animal. Therefore, according to their laws, their legalistic laws, that animal may not be sacrificed. So many people said, well, I'll just buy mine when I get to the temple. And then there was the matter of convenience. It was so much easier to buy a sacrifice rather than raise one, carry it all the way to Jerusalem without any personal connection. Now, what's the significance of all this? As I, I studied this, I came up with this conclusion. The people of Jesus' day had made worship, for the most part, not all of them, but the majority. It was nothing more than going through a ritual. They didn't have that investment in the sacrifice itself. And if there's very little investment in something, whether it be our worship, the use and development of our spiritual gifts, our offerings and tithes, whatever it may be, if there is little investment, it's not really a sacrifice to God. Therefore, the sacrificing of animals during Jesus' day was mostly a ritual rather than true worship. So when Jesus entered that temple area that day, he saw the buying and selling of all these animals. He knew the people were being robbed not only financially, but even more importantly, robbed of true worship because they didn't have much investment in it. He knew that the legalistic system of the, the religious leaders had made worship only a series of going through the motions, as I fear so many people today. They were being robbed of the opportunity of true worship. Therefore, their gift to God meant very little, if anything at all. This helps me understand why when Jesus came into the temple area and saw everything that was going on, he realized that the purpose for which the temple was built some thousand years ago was lost. And for many people, probably even forgotten. God's presence had been removed from the temple. True worship of God had been replaced by convenience, greed, 
ritualism. And John records that when Jesus saw what was going on, he made a whip out of cords, possibly the ropes that were tying up some of the animals. We don't know for sure. And he used that to run the animals and the people out of the courtyard. I believe this is the only time in Scripture, the only time that I can recall, that we see an emotion of Jesus that is not seen elsewhere. I call it righteous anger. In our culture today, the key word is tolerance. You see it in the news. You see it on the television. Tolerance of things that are explicitly contrary to God's word. It's not only in politics. It's gotten into many of our churches. Because United Methodist Church split last year. And regrettably, the church of God has entered into that same discussion. And it breaks my heart. There should be a righteous anger that causes us to pray that things change in our nation before it's too late. That things will change in our worship services, in our congregation, that coming to church and worshiping or ministry in the church is not just something we go through. I don't want to get comfortable doing God's work. I'll be honest with you. I see so many of my friends retiring from ministry. Lost a dear friend last week. Retired two years ago and died. He younger than I am. Makes me more aware that I'm not immortal. Not in this life and in this body. I can't get out of ministry. I can't. And I don't want to get too comfortable in my preaching and teaching or anything else that it becomes routine. And if it ever does, come to me and tell me. Let me know. You may see it before I would. Let me know so that I can either make some radical changes or quit preaching and teaching. As I studied this passage in all four of the gospel writers, I see four things that God desires his house to be. And I want to quickly share those with you. Number one, a place of prayer. Matthew 21, 13. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He's actually quoting from Isaiah 56, 7 says, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer, not just for those who come here, but for all nations, which means everyone. I believe every time we get together, we're going to pray. I don't ever remember a worship service when we didn't. Whether it be Sunday, Wednesday night, whenever. We always pray, but one thing I have noticed 95% of those prayers are for physical healing. And there's nothing wrong with praying for physical healing. Don't we pray for the those still in sin anymore? 
I probably have shared this with you before. My mom was the only Christian in her family for many, many years. She got saved in her teens. Got married in her teens also. Uh, I don't know the service she ever missed. I think she told me, which I was delivered by C-section, I think she said she had me in church either the next Sunday or the next. None of her family were Christian. Good people would help anybody. Grandpa and Grandma Phillips had a grocery store and worked in it 364 days every year. Took off on Christmas. That was the only day. Good people. In fact, one year they named the city where he lived Lord Phillips Day because of his contributions to the community. But I remember Mom, especially when I got in my 15th or 16th Conrad, you might remember this. Every Sunday night when she would testify, she'd say, pray for my family who's in sin. I remember as a 15 or 16-year-old thinking, it ain't going to do no good. <laughs> They've lived in sin all their lives. They'll never get saved. Showed you how much faith I had. 17 years later, the first one got saved was her baby sister, who's a year younger than me. <laughs> then her parents, the week my grandfather died, he accepted the Lord. Oh, I wish he'd have done it earlier, but he accepted the Lord. Three or four of her brothers, maybe more, nieces, nephews, cousins, began to get saved. I have seven grandchildren. I know you don't think I'm old enough to do that. Uh, they're Sandy's grandkids. We'll blame it on her. All my grandkids, they age, ages, I think, 15 to 26 or 27. I can't keep up with them anymore. All of them have accepted the Lord. But it concerns me that those who have gotten into their 20s. And I don't, I'm not around them that much. Only two here, two, three in Oklahoma, two in Indiana. So I don't really know their lives very well. But from what I hear, they're not as close to God as they used to be. It breaks my heart. It really does. So I pray for my biological family. And I pray for others who are still in sin. Jesus said, my house shall be a place of prayer. Secondly, a place of power. Matthew 21, 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple. And notice what he did. He healed them. You know, there is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in the presence of Jesus. You may recall, according to Acts chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 8, Jesus says, Wait in Jerusalem till you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and when he comes upon you, you will have power. And that Greek word for power is the same word from which we get our word dynamite, which means explosive power, not some little firecracker. I know the neighbors behind us in the subdivision set off some of the loudest fireworks, 4th of July, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. All of those, I don't know what they are using, but it rattles the windows. Sandy was out in the backyard one day before her surgery, and the guy back there could tell she wasn't walking well, and he said, can I help you? <laughs> she said, yeah, quit blowing off them firecrackers so loud. <laughs> Kidding with him. 
But there is power. When a mosquito bites a Christian, he should be able to fly away singing, there's power in the blood of a disciple of Jesus Christ. You may recall when the woman with the issue of blood came to Jesus. The crowd was around him. She had to go up through the crowd and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Such faith. She couldn't even get, hardly get to him. But when she touched the hem of his garment, you remember what he said? Who touched me? Power has gone out, has left my body. And his disciples said, well, how can you ask who touched you? Everybody's around. You no doubt they were rubbing shoulders with him. But the power of Jesus Christ left him, not that he was devoid of power, but it was transferred to her for her healing. You see, as disciples of Jesus Christ, whether we're in a worship service or at the job or at school or, or wherever, we should be able to experience God's power. Power to deliver us from whatever might have us in bondage. Power to heal us physically, emotionally, and also to transform us into the disciples that Jesus can use. There's a third thing that Jesus says his house should be. It's a house of praise. Matthew 21, 15 and following. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. David says, I will bow down toward your holy temple, which at that time was the tabernacle, and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. You see, praise is acknowledging, first of all, who Jesus is. He is God, equal to the Father, not beneath him. Praise is giving glory and honor to what he has done for us, what he is doing in our lives, and what he has promised to do in our lives. Praise is allowing him, Jesus Christ, to sit on the throne of our hearts as Lord, not just as our, our Savior, now, since we all have emotions that are differently, I don't think I've ever shouted in my life. That's not wrong. When God talks to my heart, I weep. I used to be ashamed of it. I got over that pretty quickly because I did it so much. Some people shout, although we don't hear as much as when I was coming up as a kid. Some people will raise a hand. Some people will raise both hands. Some will raise them like this, some like this. I don't think it makes a difference. Whatever God is telling you to do, that's how you should worship. Now, there are regulations, certain regulations in scriptures, and we need to stay with that. And I won't get into those this morning. But worship is just being as honest before God 
as we possibly can. And that's one reason I love David so much. He told God, I, I don't feel good this morning. I don't think you're treating me well this morning. He was honest. But God understood his heart. A place of praise. And lastly, a place to proclaim the gospel. Luke 19, 47 and 48. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do so because all the people hung on his words. And in Matthew 26, 55, Jesus said, Day after day I sat in the temple teaching. You see, the tabernacle and later the temple had been the primary places that God inhabited on earth. Places where his holy presence could be felt. Places where his glory dwelt. Places where man could go and meet God there. But it appears from my understanding of scripture that God had left the temple. You've heard the saying and I don't know what brought it about. Elvis has left the house. I believe God had left the house. And it had become a house of robbers. And therefore, about 40 years later, in 70 A.D., God allowed the temple to be completely destroyed by General Titus, the Roman general. If God is not in his temple, during Jesus' day, where was he? If he had left, where did he go? John 2, 19, 20 through 21 says this. These are the words of Jesus. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. That's where God was. Jesus was the temple when he walked on this earth. Where's the temple today? There's no Jerusalem temple. In my opinion, it will never be rebuilt. There's no need to. Where is the temple of God now that Jesus has gone back to the Father? Notice what Paul said to the Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. You understand what Paul's saying? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we, not this building, I know we say we're going to church to be with God. I can be with God in my house. I met with him this morning. It's 5 o'clock, 5.30. He was there. He was there. He's not here waiting on us each Sunday, as we used to say. And if you said that, that that's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. He's here because we bring him with us. We are the temples of God. And therefore, we are to honor him. How do we do that? How is it possible to honor God with our bodies? 
allow him to make each one of us a holy temple by cleansing our heart completely. Let me close with this scripture taken from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul, writing to the church, says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. No longer were they to kill animals for their sins. Jesus replaced that. But they themselves were to be sacrifices to God, living, not, not dead. Then he says, a holy sacrifice, meaning separated from sin, apart, set apart for God, alone. Then he says, our sacrifice should be pleasing to God, meaning acceptable, something he would gladly receive. He says, this is your true and proper worship. And once we have offered ourselves to God completely, allowing him to make us his holy temple, we should see four things happen in our lives. We should become people of prayer. People of prayer. People of power. People who praise his holy name. And I know some forms of worship may not appease to you. There's some that I do not do. Even when I'm in Latin America and I see how they praise God. Uh, some of that I, I don't particularly feel comfortable for myself. But I cannot tell them, you're wrong. That's not in scripture. You don't, you're doing it all wrong. No. They're doing what comes maybe naturally in their culture. And then we will also be a people who proclaim the gospel of Christ to everyone. Oh, I don't mean going out on the street and confronting people like that. I think we have to be very, very careful and make sure you're being led by the Holy Spirit. If you do it, if you don't, you might get knocked down on your backside. But especially through your lifestyle. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads, that you be in an attitude of prayer. And that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. There may be some area of your life that needs to be improved, changed, forgiven. I don't know. Maybe you're not praying enough for the lost. Maybe you're not experiencing the power of God that can liberate Maybe you're not praising him enough or proclaiming Jesus Christ. Uh, you may have other issues today. If you'd like to come and pray by yourself, you can come to these front pews. I won't bother you. You can sit, kneel, stand, whatever. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar so I'll know it. Whatever needs you may have, Bring it to God. He is more than capable. Let us stand as we sing.
Thank you for being here with us and for the sermon that you sent Carbon for us. May we always, always represent you and your love and your power through everything we say and everything we do. And we ask this, Lord, through your precious name. Amen.